welcome to the West Yorkshire um, Workers' Liberty public meeting on no to war, Sardar Ukraine. This was actually planned um, before the Russian invasion started. Um, but obviously things have changed a bit since we first organised this meeting about a month ago. We've got three speakers. Um, we've got Chris Ford from the Ukraine Solidarity uh, Campaign. We've got, and I apologise for my pronunciation, um, but we've got Dennis Pilash um, from the Socialist Group Ukraine, and we've got Dale Street. Can Chris start? And- okay, thank you, comrades, for the possibility to speak at the meeting tonight. And uh, and as you say, we it was before the invasion was planned, and, and we're now in a, a very different situation uh, where what was feared has, in fact, happened. Uh, uh, from the Ukraine Solidarity Campaign, I could just say we, we were founded following Euromaidan uh, by socialists and trade unionists in the United Kingdom to show support for uh, the labour movement and for uh, socialists and civil society in Ukraine. Uh, and we've had long-standing links with the, the both trade union federations in Ukraine. Uh, and also we took a position of defence of the self-determination of Ukraine and for the unity of Ukraine. And I think those positions are, uh, we've continued to stand with since the war in 2014. And when I look now, uh, in terms of that period, uh, there's a degree of great tragedy because uh, we formed at the time, because we we saw around us a significant retrogression uh, taking place within our own movement uh, uh, and a failure to appreciate the events that were taking place and what we saw as a, a Russian imperialist aggression against Ukraine. Uh, that situation now is, is much worse. Uh, the, the, uh, on it. And, uh, and, and it, there's even greater importance for us to rally those in the labour movement in our country who have a, want to stand on a, an internationalist position uh, uh, in support of Ukraine, of the Ukrainian people in, in, in this war, uh, this war of aggression against them, in support of the resistance to this invasion, and in support of the progressive forces in Ukraine. Uh, and in doing that, uh, to understand what's happening, uh, I think we have to, first of all, uh, set ourselves apart from those who have engaged in what I could only describe as a form of left-wing accommodation to uh, Kremlin propaganda, to imperialist aggression, uh, to justifications for the war that is being waged, uh, and uh, have adopted what, another word would be, this post-truth narratives that have been uh, deployed as pretexts for an invasion and aggression. Uh, so if I begin by addressing this, I, I don't accept that we are in a situation akin to 1914, uh, where we have rival empires who are currently engaged in a war, such as the, the Germany, France, uh, uh, and Britain, uh, uh, and Austro-Hungary were engaged in at that time. The war in Ukraine is not between rival empires. The war in Ukraine, uh, if analogies were to be made, it would be the analogy between the British Empire and Ireland. Uh, and that was the analogy historically, which was recognised by many socialists uh, uh, of that era uh, in the early 20th century. And 
this relationship is not between two empires, but a historical oppressor and a historically oppressed nation. Uh, that is the relationship. We have a war between the, uh, an imperial power, a nuclear superpower, uh, the, with the second largest army in the world, seeking to conquer the second poorest country in Europe. Uh, and, and in that conflict, uh, I believe we have a, an absolute duty as socialists and trade unionists uh, in this country to side with those who are the victim of this conquest. And it is conquest. We have seen today published uh, uh, the, uh, a manifesto uh, by uh, Novosti Press, by Petro Okopov, uh, which sets clear what the intentions are of Russia uh, if they conquer Ukraine. And this is replete with the language of the early 20th century and 19th century of Russian Tsarism. Uh, I don't think it's coincidental that the, uh, the Russian soldiers who are currently in Ukraine are wearing white armbands because it was the same Russian army that went into Ukraine in 1919 and had ruled it before, which is stood in the traditions of the white guard of Tsarism and the Russian Empire. And the manifesto that has been published that uh, sets out what the Kremlin sees as post-conquered Ukraine is of... Uh, that that formation, a reduction to, uh, or what they would describe as a, a, a reconstitution of Ukraine, uh, no longer as a Ukrainian nation, but as little Russian Ukrainians in their language, the language of 19th century colonialism of the Kremlin. Uh, it's a, a, a very clear manifesto of historical retrogression, the language of colonialism of a bygone age. But this isn't a bygone age, and this is happening now. Uh, uh, at present. So to attempt to disguise what's happening as a, a, a response to provocations, to NATO expansionism, uh, uh, is to give justification to what is a, an immensely reactionary project of a, a capitalist regime, which is thoroughly undemocratic, exploits and oppresses its own people, and is seeking to re restore its own power and hegemony over all those nations and peoples who once constituted the Russian Empire before in that region. Uh, they're doing so out of the interests of the ruling class of Russia. They're doing so for economic and for political reasons. They're doing so to protect their own position of power because they know that any type of social or democratic breakthrough in neighbouring countries can also pose a threat to their own power inside Russia. It is a reconstitution of a role historic to Russian imperialism, which was defined by Marx himself uh, uh, as of a, a, a gendarme, a policeman of European reaction. And this is reactionary what is taking place. What would happen if Russia conquers Ukraine? How would that be in any way a war of liberation? What would happen to the movement of labour, to the trade unions, to the left, to civil society? Well, I, I could give you, uh, we, we don't need to uh, uh, speculate. We know what will happen if they conquer all of Ukraine. We know because they have established such an occupation regime in Crimea, 
and the occupied territories of the Donbass. There, they abolished all independent trade unions. There, they abolished all parties except those stooges who were loyal to their proxy regimes. There, they murdered and terrorized independent trade unions. I can cite the example of June 2014, where Ivan Reznichenko, a leading organizer of the Independent Trade Union of Mine Workers, this is their flag I have behind me, uh, he, he was shot, had his throat cut, and was dumped in a salt mine. Uh, he wasn't found for months later. He wasn't alone in this terror that, that was unleashed against the labor movement. We have a similar terror in Crimea against the Tatars, the population who were deported by Stalin. Many have gone missing. Their institutions are illegal. They're subject to a reign of oppression uh, in Crimea. So the idea that in any way Putin will introduce in the rest of Ukraine some kind of benign uh, form of government that would introduce some form of equality between peoples, would restore their brothers to Mother Russia, is a fantasy. It is further a fantasy to believe it's possible because the scale of resistance that has been met, that the Russian invasion has met, is such that a government could only be restored and put in place in Ukraine today, which was in itself a reign of terror, simply could not function without the wide-scale suppression of the majority of the, of the population who are ready to resist it. Uh, such a government would entail a bloodbath. And that also is not speculation. We've seen how the Kremlin responds to active opposition. We saw it in Chechnya, where they leveled Grozny. And we've seen it in Syria. 80% of those killed are as a result of the alliance between Putin and the Assad regime. We've seen where cities have put off resistance, they have been besieged, and they've been carpet bombed. And we already see the beginnings of that in Ukraine today. And we saw it in Kharkiv, where the populace has successfully repelled in at the invaders, and now they've been began heavy bombardment of that city with grad, grad rockets from across the border. Uh, there, there was no military base in a shopping centre that was bombed today by Grad Rockets in Harkis. Uh, uh, and that, I fear, is just the beginning. That is how Putin uh, and the Kremlin regime responds to resistance. Uh, what then should we be doing uh, as a labour movement in this country in relation to the situation? Uh, first and foremost, I think we need to draw on uh, our own traditions, which we should be unashamed of, uh, and we should not in any way be uncomfortable, and we should be calling for the provision uh, of arms and necessary military equipment to equip the Ukrainian people in the resistance to the invasion. Uh, and that should include, as a matter of urgency, the provision uh, of anti-aircraft weapons to take the Russian Air Force from the skies uh, above Ukraine. I say this because I've asked numerous people, uh, comrades in the territorial defence, which has grown by tens and tens of thousands of civilians enlisting to fight. I've asked comrades there. I've asked comrades in the Confederation of Free Trade Unions and the Federation of Trade Unions, what, what was their immediate need? 
and all of them have responded with the need to address the, the uh, air defences. I understand that many people are desperate, uh, particularly uh, uh, because of loved ones there. They're, they're calling for a, a NATO uh, 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 to protect the skies. I don't agree with that, obviously. I think the Ukrainian people are more than capable to defend themselves in their self-determination and self-defence, nor do I want World War III. Uh, but I do believe that the ar those arms need to be provided. I think all other necessary equipment should be provided. It should be provided without strings. It should be provided without charge. Uh, uh, and it should be provided for whatever is necessary for the defence. I think there needs to be an urgent provision of equipment to prevent any possible fall of Kiev uh, to, to this invasion uh, as a matter of urgency. And I think we should be... Uh, contacted our MPs, we should be getting as much pressure as possible uh, for that aid to be given. Uh, some in the movement may find this uncomfortable. Some of the more uh, uh, post-truth uh, uh, and I would say reactionary elements may denounce us, uh, but uh, I would say they, they are completely wrong. The Chartless movement called for the provision of arms to the Polish insurgents. Uh, we, we called for support for the War of the North against the Confederacy in the Civil War. We called for the provision of arms for the Spanish Republic against the fascists. Uh, I have no qualms in calling for the provision of arms for the Ukrainian people uh, in the current war. Additionally, I think the, there's an issue of sanctions. Uh, and I think that the, for obvious reasons, the corruption and lies of the Tory government, the links to oligarchy, they've dragged their feet uh, uh, in terms of sanctions and addressing this issue. Uh, all the capitalist businesses, in my, in my mind, of Russian capital based in the UK should be sanctioned. Gazprom should be evicted as soon as possible. They're directly linked to the Kremlin and the war machine, uh, and they shouldn't be here. Uh, we, we, we need to sanction them. And uh, we sanctioned apartheid uh, South Africa, where sanctions aren't implemented by the government. I think the labour movement should implement them themselves. Uh, we, we, we should have a boycott uh, uh, where possible uh, 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 of links with, with the Russian Federation while this invasion and aggression against the Ukraine is taking place. Uh, I think also we, we need to be focused on outcomes uh, in this conflict. Uh, there should be no return in my mind to any, any secret diplomacy, depl peace deals which could result in a similar to Minsk, which result in the division and partition of Ukraine. Uh, our goal should be the restoration of Ukraine to the territory uh, and the borders that people voted for democratically and overwhelmingly uh, in the referendum of 1991. Uh, similarly, we should be looking towards assistance to Ukrainians to rebuild their country after war, and that should be involve the cancellation of all debt uh, to the state. Uh, the country shouldn't be burdened or in hope to the IMF, the World Bank and Western powers. Uh, uh, if their, their solidarity is real, they'll cancel it. Uh, uh, and we should be demanding that as soon as possible. We, we, we should support the demand for the, the immediate entry uh, of uh, Ukraine to the European Union. People should be given full freedom to travel uh, in the EU. There should be no restrictions in the UK to anyone from Ukraine who wants to come here. The current visa system and the restrictions of the, of the Tory government are, uh, are barbaric, uh, uh, inhuman, 
that are putting on uh, on them compared even to the other European countries. And uh, they're a reactionary restriction in people in need of refuge and they should be welcome in this country and the Labour movement should mobilise uh, to, to bring that about. Today, our campaign met with 34 MPs, uh, uh, Plaid Cymru, Labour and others uh, uh, in Parliament to brief them uh, on the situation in Ukraine. And that was amongst the top of our list that we want action uh, on the refugees. Uh, similarly, I welcome the fact there was support in the issue of debt and the issue, uh, and the issue of armaments. Additionally, I think we need to be given uh, all the help we can to the socialist left, uh, to the Labour movement in Ukraine uh, in, the, in this time. Uh, comrades are still organised, they, uh, they are functioning uh, and they're engaged in resistance. They need funds, and certainly we will play our part to raise funds to assist them. What they do with that money, whether they buy arms, whether they buy, make propaganda, is entirely of their, their choice. Uh, but we should assist them to keep their movement alive in Ukraine. And because we should also recognise it will be immensely difficult if that country is occupied. Uh, and we need to do all we can to sustain the movement that was reborn after the collapse of, the, of Stalinism and has existed all this time. Comrades in Ukraine are showing immense courage. Uh, many, they haven't left, they've stayed, they're fighting, they're resisting. Uh, what we've seen uh, since the invasion took place has been inspiring. Uh, the popular mobilization of people's war uh, to, to resist the, this imperialist aggression. And uh, I don't think anyone with a principle with an ounce of humanity, uh, could do anything but express full solidarity with the, the resistance that's taking place. I want to add to this is the importance of our solidarity with the, uh, the opposition in Russia. The 6,000 people have been arrested. They join those who had been arrested previously, who courageously stood up in defence of Ukraine uh, on the left uh, uh, before, and... Uh, we, we need to be shown full solidarity and my view on sanctions and my view on why we want a Ukrainian victory is additionally, in 1905, the defeat of Russian war led to a revolution in Russia. In 1917, the defeat of Russia in a war led to a revolution in Russia. The greatest guarantee of peace in the territory of the former Russian empire is to bring down the Putin regime and for him to be overthrown. If all we can do to generate those conditions, whether it be through sanctions, whether it be through the military defeat of Russia, uh, we should support. Uh, 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 and that, that isn't just that, therefore, a struggle to save Ukraine from conquest, but to save Russia from its own ruling class. Uh, so uh, my position is unequivocal. I wish to see a victory of Ukraine in this war. I want to see a Russian revolution, uh, and I want us to take every effort possible and I make no apology for these positions. Uh, I have lost a whole capacity for patience for the accommodationists. Uh, there is a huge division now between those of principle, those who are internationalists, and those who have engaged in the retrogression. I would simply echo on our website, we have a, a letter to the Western left from Firas Bilis from besieged Kiev. I would ask people to read it. We're going to publish another article very shortly by Andrei Shtorov and comrades in the city of Odessa. In that, they call for us to take action in our movement against those who have accommodated to this 
the invasion of Ukraine. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable request. Uh, what that action entails is the choice of others. But there needs to be a, a political reckoning uh, in the movement. And we can't stand back and allow ourselves to be disgraced any longer. We need to set, put to the forefront the solidarity with the Ukrainian resistance and the Ukrainian left. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, next, we'll go to, and again, I apologise for my pronunciation, but Denas Pilash um, from the Socialist, from Socialist Group in Ukraine. Yes, thanks. Um, it's hard to speak in this darkest hour, probably in our recent history. Thanks to Chris and thanks to the entire Ukraine Solidarity Campaign for providing their uh, help um, now, uh, so I'm from, from the group called the Social Movement Social Ruch, and um, well, I'm now in a safer city, but many of my close friends and comrades, some of the people whom I love and care most, they are still staying in Kiev, in Kharkiv, in other cities that are. Besieged or attacked by the Russian military. Uh, they are living under a constant pressure of uh, Russian shellings, of uh, Russian missiles, Russian reactive artillery, firing on the cities, and they are becoming, I mean, the Russian aggressors are becoming more and more reckless every day. Uh, they, uh, I, uh, I'm hearing all these stories of my friends who are stuck in the worst of situations, who couldn't evacuate from the cities, who couldn't evacuate their relatives with disabilities, their elder relatives, their pets, and uh, who chose to stay under their constant shelling. Uh, stories of people who are on the brink of mental breakdown due to this constant terror. Stories of people who um, are actually now living in shelters and um, or Kharkiv underground system metro. And people who even couldn't get to these shelters and who are waiting for the Russian bombs and Russian missiles in uh, their apartments. And also stories of people who uh, took up the resistance. And um, the situation is that uh, actually uh, the initial plans of uh, Putin's territorial regime on early smooth creek, they failed miserably. They failed due to uh, really enormous resistance by both the Ukrainian armed forces and by civilian population alike. Because uh, you could, again, see lots of stories and videos from Ukraine, from cities of Ukraine, defying the aggressors. Yesterday in Berdyansk, a Russian-speaking city, it was captured by Putin's forces. You could see hundreds of people gathering on the streets, defying the Russian military in their face. 
demanding to uh, withdraw, to get out. No one is uh, awaiting for the so-called liberation. Proclaimed by Putin is his, in his warmongering speeches that are, were really terrible, that were um, really suggesting that uh, he's uh, eager, he's open to go for far lengths even for a nuclear war. Uh, speeches that were um, directly attacking the mere existence of Ukraine as an independent entity and also attacking uh, the Russian Revolution of 1917, attacking Lenin, attacking the Bolsheviks and other socialist revolutionaries, whom uh, Putin as a natural heir to um, this grand Russian chauvinist ideology of uh, hair of czarist imperialism, uh, whom he blames for uh, the existence of Ukraine. He blames for um, creating um, uh, opportunities for uh, Ukrainian cultural uh, development. And uh, it's clear that uh, really a story of um, imperial aggression against uh, an um, smaller uh, country with uh, much more, uh, much, much less uh, city to uh, defend itself. Uh, so uh, actually it showed that um, the Russian military has very low morals. They don't know why they are fighting here. They were told patent uh, lies by their propaganda. They were uh, told that they are coming to liberate Ukraine some way, and they will be uh, perceived as uh, allies and so on. But actually, they are killing uh, civilians. They are killing... Uh, we still don't know the exact numbers. Uh, I am afraid that they could be even worse than the official toll. Many uh, women, men, children already killed. The prospects are uh, really terrible. Uh, and actually, this is a situation when um, if one needs more analogies and uh, referencing this whataboutism, what it is still quite widespread uh, in the circles of some of our comrades. Uh, we, we are in a situation uh, that is pretty much like um, the 2003 aggression against Iraq. Uh, just like George W. Bush and uh, Tony Blair were war criminals who started an unjust war and uh, defying all international law, and bringing uh, around uh, a real uh, geopolitical disaster for entire region, uh, and who uh, who um, did this because they felt that their imperial uh, aggression would be go impune, punished. Same is done now by Putin. It's a 
clear war crime, uh, raw war crimes against an uh, independent nation, against uh, uh, civilian population, against um, peaceful people. It is unfolding in the worst possible way. Uh, so um, I, I think that um, really what uh, can uh, stop this uh, regime that is uh, combining worst features of authoritarian capitalism today, uh, as this uh, oligarchic crony system uh, with uh, completely um, anti-democratic uh, article of power with uh, uh, police uh, brutality and so on. Uh, it's really the resistance of the Ukrainian people. The resistance uh, that is, um, well, it cannot be measured even. Uh, in many places, uh, people uh, are denied even to, when they, they go volunteering, for instance, they, they try to donate blood but uh, there are so many people there that uh, they are overdoing all the cap capacities for the supplies. And so many people are uh, trying to enlist to territorial self-defense. There sometimes, for instance, in Kiev, uh, there is no, no, not enough uh, arms for uh, all their hands. So people engaged in different types of... Uh, Solidarity in different types of um, supporting each other, supporting um, those who are at the front lines, supporting uh, those who fell uh, uh, under the occupation, supporting the, those who uh, were forced to become refugees. And this is one of the, again, an important uh, uh, cries for solidarity help uh, those people who uh, left Ukraine and uh, to bar any kind of obstacles that are created by uh, borders and by uh, bureaucratic systems uh, in order to uh, relieve uh, the suffering of these people. And uh, um, also I would say that, again, it's quite... Um, as in the uh, situation with the Iraq war, I, I, I think it was the, the period of my like, political unbringing. Um, and I saw uh, millions of people mobilizing against the war throughout the world. And uh, um, though they couldn't uh, prevent the invasion, it was really inspiring to see uh, people who... Uh, uh, challenge this uh, logic of imperialist aggression. And it's appalling and we are not seeing something like this now, but actually we see much of solidarity. And uh, um, I think it's, it's, we can see a pattern when um, uh, every time when uh, real uh, human stories are uh, learned by um, comrades in uh, other countries uh, when these comrades uh, contact with real people, 
all this uh, bullshit with uh, geopolitical uh, nonsense and some abstractions and some, you know, reveling blocks and blah, 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 uh, they fade when they meet uh, the real situation. And that's why, for instance, um, like our comrades in Poland from uh, the Party Razem, uh, they were... Uh, among the first who uh, got the flag of solidarity with the Ukrainian working people under this uh, war. And uh, they uh, got our comrades to deliver our demands for uh, supporting Ukraine and supporting it in also those areas that are rarely mentioned by other parts of the political spectrum, like uh, the above mentioned uh, demand of uh, cancelling the Ukraine debt or uh, obliterating the entire system of uh, oligarchy, uh, oligarchs uh, money, laundering their money and uh, getting it tax haven uh, f- for these oligarchs, both like actually Russian and Ukrainian as well. Because I think, uh, again, even in this situation of war, we saw there is no truth in class um, war. Uh, the Ukrainian oligarchs were among the, fr- the first who uh, fled the country uh, prior to uh, the dates of um, Russian aggression. And uh, they are still, um, uh, well, really uh, doing um, much harm to uh, the Ukrainian society the face of uh, this aggression. Uh, so um, we see this solidarity in Poland. We saw this in, um, for instance, Sweden. Uh, there was a demo in Malmo with um, my old friends from um, my fellow comrades from the student uh, union at that time. It was called Direct Action. Talka and Sasha who spoke at this meeting and it uh, local left party was uh, quite involved uh, into this protest. We saw this in Switzerland, where uh, uh, again, we have uh, our uh, comrades there, and uh, the left comrades there were uh, supportive. In Denmark, the uh, left-green alliance, uh, the United List, again, was very uh, uh, didn't hesitate to uh, call on uh, against uh, aggression, probably because we had some contacts with their young members and their uh, member of European Parliament, Nikolai Willemsen. But uh, still we see that a great chunk of international left is, um, well, it's uh, still diminishing the threat posed by the Russian imperialism and they are um, Again, thinking all this in uh, lots of garbage about, you know, still is still somehow about being provoked by another imperialism and so on. Uh, and uh, also invoking different types of pretexts why uh, one shouldn't um, support the Ukrainian working people uh, under fire. Uh, but uh, as we know, um, for instance, the corruption of Abbas regime and the far-right nature of uh, Hamas uh, shouldn't uh, be an obstacle to support the uh, 
struggles of ordinary Palestinian uh, men and women. And the same way, invoking uh, corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs and invoking uh, Ukrainian far right uh, shouldn't be an obstacle to uh, understand the sufferings of uh, millions, of dozens of millions of Ukrainians. Uh, the clear majority of, of us are defying uh, aggressive nationalism. And we are defying um, uh, any kind of um, discrimination. So it was really about, uh, okay, uh, I'll go on uh, wrapping up. So uh, uh, it's, it's quite necessary for uh, those um, in the international left who are still hesitant who are still trying to uh, not to pick sides, to understand the necessity and the urgency of um, action in order to uh, stop probably one of the worst acts of uh, imperialist aggression of a right-wing authoritarian regime oppressing its own against uh, tens of millions of uh, Ukrainians, and that's why we we are so grateful to those who are now um, already involved in solidarity campaigns, who are uh, attending um, rallies, who are um, uh, pressuring their governments to uh, build support for uh, the Ukrainian people, including those uh, in Russia. Uh, almost all of my uh, friends, uh, comrades from the socialist and anarchist milieu. They went to the demos. Many of them are now under arrest. Uh, and uh, it's really necessary to uh, uh, to continue this um, constant uh, protests because um, I think the only way to guarantee uh, stability and peace in our part of the world is really overthrowing this uh, regime, is uh, bringing on uh, a revolution because um, what, we, what we saw, it's a, a real threat to everyone, including uh, all of uh, Russian citizens and including uh, in the final outcome with all these threats of uh, nuclear war and so on. And I think the entire population on, th on this planet so uh, please uh, be militant in your opposition to the imperialism, any kind of imperialism. But in this case, you see clearly the Russian imperialism. And uh, to bring on um, the uh, needs of Ukrainian people for more support, uh, humanitarian, uh, military uh for uh, more solidarity with uh, ordinary ukrainians and ukrainian refugees for uh, canceling the ukrainian debt for uh destroying all this, this is a chance probably to push this uh, closing the loopholes that are used by the oligarchic capitalist class in our countries uh to get uh, out uh, the money robbed from, from the people. Because uh, even uh, all these sanctions, personal sanctions against Russian oligarchs, they are still not enough. 
and we see that they have still lots of ways uh, to continue their enrichment and continue their money laundering. Uh, so it's uh, really we need to engage into this um, uh, closure of uh, all these pathways for the uh, Russian capitalist class. So thanks again for uh, this opportunity to speak to you. Thank you very much, comrade. Um, well, thank you, obviously, very difficult time. So thank you very much for speaking to us tonight. Um, I'll take Dale Street next um, to speak. And after that, we'll have some um, time for contributions. Um, there's quite a lot of people in the meeting. So when we get to contributions, if people can be as brief as possible to give everyone the chance to speak. Um, so I'll take um, Dale next and then we'll, we'll go to contributions. So, Dale, I've asked you to unmute, so you should be able to. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, I'll try and keep this to a bit less than 15 minutes to allow more time for discussion, particularly since there's so many people in the meeting. Um, I spoke a few weeks ago at a AWL Scotland meeting about the left in Ukraine. Um, the good news is this is not going to be a repeat performance. Um, the bad news is that the left has not got any better in the meantime, quite the opposite. Um, if you want to know what the left is saying about Ukraine, you need to look at the websites. I'm talking about the British left. And the reason why you need to look at the websites is because on the streets, the left is simply nowhere to be seen. In every town, in every city in Britain where you've got Ukrainian community, there have been protests and rallies and demonstrations um, ever since the invasion on Thursday. Apart from ourselves, no other organisations on the left have turned up to those rallies and protests. You have the biggest war in Europe since 1945. People out on the streets from the country or by descent from the country that's been invaded, and yet the left is going nowhere near them. And when you look at what the left has had to say in the run-up to the invasion and since invasion, um, I think it's pretty clear why. I'll start off with saying something about socialist appeal to give an example of what bad really looks like in practice. Socialist appeal used to be part of the militant tendency for those that remember it, still a sizable organisation, has been successful in attracting quite a lot of young people recently, particularly universities with their Marxist societies. 24th of February, Russia invades Ukraine. Socialist Appeal puts out a statement written by Alan Woods. The statement does not condemn the invasion. It does not call for the withdrawal of Russian troops. Instead, according to the statement, Woods writes, nobody can doubt that the Russians will achieve all their declared objects, objectives in a very short time. The prevailing mood in the Ukrainian population will be one of despair, pessimism, and above all, war weariness. Woods then goes on to say that the Russians, having conquered Ukraine, will create a pro-Russian public government and, quote, under the declared banner of denazification, there will be a purge of right-wing and ultra-nationalist organisations. Well, obviously, if Putin wants to purge right-wing ultra-nationalist organisations, he could start off by doing it in Russia, and in the so-called People's Republics of Donetsk and Lugansk, and stop funding Le Pen in France. That's how far he moved. Wood's statement is reality. Woods then goes on to say that uh, Putin will not occupy 
all of Ukraine permanently. But he says, before withdrawing, Putin may well pocket a few more pieces of Ukrainian territory by expanding the newly recognized People's Republics to include the whole of Donetsk and Lugansk regions. This, by the way, would be a purely defensive move. So openly would defend annexation of Russian, of Ukrainian territory by Putin. The only other point I make about that statement by Armin Woods on behalf of Socialist Appeal is the basis for his claim that the Ukrainian population is demoralized, is in despair, is surrendering, is a Facebook post by Dmitry Kovalyevich, who Woods describes as a commentator based in Kiev. Kovalyevich is a member of Barotba, or was a member of Barotba, I'm not too sure if it still exists. In 2014, Barotba was the most servile apologist in Ukraine for Putin. And we now know from the work carried out by hackers that Barotba was on the Kremlin payroll. And I think the only difference between Barotba and Alan Woods' socialist appeal is at least Barotba got paid for putting out Putin propaganda, whereas Alan Woods and socialist appeal obviously do it for nothing. Um, I was going to speak now about the Socialist Party response to the invasion. Socialist Party, again, used to be part of the militant tendency, big organisation, they've got their own international organisation, um, but for reasons of time, I'll skip that. I mean, basically, the Socialist Party statement in response to the invasion says that capitalism is bad, breeds wars, and finishes off by saying, we need socialism, socialism is good, all of which I agree with, but really doesn't help you understand what's happening in Ukraine. What I'll move on to and spend the remainder of this lead off talking about is a response from the Socialist Workers' Party, the Stop the War Coalition, and Counterfire. I put all of those three organisations together because of the overlap in in terms of personnel, and also given that with minor differences aside, they are all saying the same thing. And I think one can identify seven themes in what those three organisations have had to say in the run-up to the invasion and since the invasion. Um, Firstly, consistently, Stop the War Coalition on its website has kind articles downplaying the possibility of of an invasion. Um, Russian troop buildup at the borders, it's mere allegations, they say. Um, And a a better example of that is an article by Talik Ali, who's one of the leading figures in the Stop the War Coalition, in which he wrote, since the 3rd of December 2021, when the Washington Post, inverted commas, broke the story, based on some aerial photographs of tents in a field, and other helpfully selected nuggets of US intelligence, the Anglophone world has been subjected to a highly orchestrated media campaign, trumpeting at top volume the inverted commas massive and inverted commas imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine. Parikali wrote that article on the 16th of February. One week later, Russia did invade Ukraine, massive invasion, and it was imminent when I wrote that article. So one theme is consistently downplaying the possibility of a Russian invasion. 
Secondly, second theme is that throughout the opening months of 2022 and before then as well, Stop the War Coalition, Socialist Workers Party, Kandabar, have created a narrative from which Russia is entirely absent. Um, there is no material on any of the websites which gives a serious exam, uh, a serious analysis of the kind of things Chris was talking about, the Russian imperialist project, its denial of Ukraine as a separate nation, denial of Ukrainian statehood. That's simply not there. Um, I think the worst example of that is a big rally online. Stop the war had on 10th of February with big name speakers like Jeremy Corbyn, Diane Abbott and so on, where the publicity for the meeting is all about NATO, not a word about Russia, and Crimea is shown as part of Russian territory rather than occupied Ukrainian territory. So you have a narrative in which there is no analysis of what Russia has been doing and is doing now. Thirdly, it's an analysis in which the only party to blame is NATO. Um, to give an example from Stop the War Coalition, statement 24th of February, the day that Russia invades. The conflict is the product of 30 years of failed policies, including the expansion of NATO and US hegemony at the expense of other countries, as well as the major wars of aggression by the USA, Britain, and other NATO powers. So on the day when Russia invades Ukraine, so to speak, for the second time after 2014, um, the focus of Stop the War Coalition is NATO, which has not invaded Ukraine. Um, you also have an argument from John Rees, who's a leading figure in Counterfire and in the Stop the War Coalition, in which he argues when he's talking about Ukraine, he writes, um, so let me get the quote and do three articles at the same time this evening. If he wants a historical parallel, then it'd be better to look at the effects of the Versailles Treaty that followed Germany's defeat in the First World War. And Rees develops the argument that the Versailles Treaty humiliated Germany as it did. And that led to German nationalism, it led to the Nazis in power, um, all of which I agree with. And his argument is that NATO expansion had the same impact on Russia. It's a humiliated Russia, it encouraged Russian nationalism, um, and hence you have the current conflict. I'm not convinced it's a valid analogy, but it's the one that Rees himself chooses to use. The problem with that analogy is obviously that when Germany invaded Austria in the Anschluss, when Germany invaded Sudetenland to incorporate Sudetenland into Germany and then invaded the rest of the Czechoslovakia, no one on the left says, well, it's all the fault of the Versailles Treaty, isn't it? Those American and British and French politicians at Versailles, they should have realised that this was going to humiliate Germany and it's really all their fault. Socialists in the 1930s were not, yeah, some of them maybe, but yeah, they actually could recognise reality when they saw it, and they would simply forthright in their condemnation of Hitler's policies of expansionism. It's, you know, whereas now we have, as Chris said, all kinds of apologies for Russia invading Ukraine. Um, another element in the stop the in the narrative of SDP stop the war and so on is that the West has not been interested in diplomacy. And um, for reasons of time, we'll skip all the quotes that actually illustrate that. 
the one point to make to counter that is I do think it's worth remembering, although you wouldn't know about it from any of the, the literature that's being produced by various groups on the left, that on Sunday, the uh, 20th of February, Biden agreed to meet Putin in a recent brokered by Macron. Biden agreed to meet Putin. He was willing to push diplomacy, willing to meet Putin. Putin's response to that the next day was to recognise Donetsk and Lugansk as independent republics, and four days later, to invade Ukraine. But we don't have denunciations of Putin for not trying to find a diplomatic solution. We have denunciations of the USA, Britain, for not trying to find a diplomatic solution when Biden himself was willing to meet Putin, provided Putin did not um, invade Ukraine. We also have the Stop the War Coalition and the SDP and the Socialist Party actually raising the same demands as Putin. Socialist parties, those two organizations I mentioned, they do call for wishing withdrawal from Ukraine, but they couple that with another demand. So Socialist Worker, in its statement of the 24th of February, Socialists should demand that President Vladimir Putin withdraws all his forces from Ukraine immediately. NATO forces should immediately withdraw from Eastern Europe. Right. I'm against NATO, I'm against expansion of NATO, but to raise that demand right now that NATO withdraws from Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, that's Putin's demand. Um, and like I said, I'm against NATO, against expansion, but I don't think it's a demand to raise at the minute, and it gives credence to this notion that Russia only invaded because of security concerns which you have to take on board. Um, sixthly, we have had some ridiculous demands being raised by sections of the left. I give just two examples of that. One is on the 24th of February, which is the day that um, Russia invaded Ukraine. Stop the War Coalition, in its statement, says, if there is to be a return to diplomacy, as there should be, the British government should encourage a return to the Minsk II agreement already signed by both sides. Minsk II agreement absolutely dead in the water. On the 20th of February, four days before then, Russia had recognised Lugansk and Donetsk as independent republics. That killed off Minsk II. Then on the 24th of February, um, you have the Russian invasion. If Minsk II was not already dead, the invasion obviously killed it off, but that doesn't stop the, stop the war coalition calling for the return to Minsk II. One other example of ridiculous demand is from John Rees, who, like I said, leading figure in Stop the War Coalition, where he says that we demand that our government, that's the Tories, represent the interests of working people and stop playing imperial games with our future. I mean, the idea that you demand of the current Tory government, one of the most right-wing Tory governments ever, that it represent the interests of working people um, is simply not credible. The and the final theme, and this is what I'll finish on, is, and this comes back to the point that Chris is making in his lead-off, you have a fundamental division now on the left in this country. On the one hand, you have the people who recognise Ukraine's right to self-determination, the right of Ukraine to resist, the right of Ukraine to military resistance to Russia's invasion. And on the other hand, you have the people who want to dissolve that specific character of this invasion and this conflict into generalities about imperialism. 
So a socialist worker, again in a statement put out on the day of the Russian invasion, carries articles saying, um, the conflict in Ukraine flows from uh, imperialist rivalry between the West and Russia over Ukraine. Um, in Britain, socialist's main job is to build opposition to Western imperialism as part of a wider fight against a system of imperialist rivalries that's driving the Ukraine conflict. Um, another article says, we assess the war as an inter-imperialist conflict between Russia and the West, in which, unfortunately, Ukraine has become a bargaining chip. So the common theme which underpins everything said by Stop the War, SDP, Counterfire, is that the specific issue of Russia's refusal to recognize Ukraine as an independent state, a separate nation, its attempt to you know, destroy the Ukrainian state, is dissolved into generalities about an inter-imperialist rivalry. And I think it's important that we as ADL challenge that narrative particularly since what the Stop the War Coalition is doing now, it's calling for Russian withdrawal, it's calling for an end of the war, is really trying to derail and demobilise a solidarity campaign with Ukraine against the Russian invasion. I mean, it's quite clear that our task as socialists is to build solidarity in the Labour movement, not through appeals to Western governments, whatever, with Ukraine um, and not dissolve that specific character of the conflicts into meaningless, irrelevant generalities about inter-imperialist conflicts, which actually seed ground to the fiction that's being created by Putin. It's all about Russian security concerns. I'll finish that. Thank you very much, Dale. Okay, so we'll move to contribution. So if I can give the three speakers five minutes each, take Dennis first, please. So, yeah, first of all, uh, I should say that uh, very few of us actually also believe that uh, it will get this kind of full-blown invasion even uh, after, even uh, just prior to, to this last night, we thought that it will be uh, an escalation in Donbass, but um, Russia won't um, go on uh, in this complete uh, at all fronts. Uh, invasion aggression against Ukraine. So I think that you were not alone in this. And uh, again, it's quite uh, quite important what you, uh, many of you uh, also pointed out that when we speak about the resistance, uh, the um, assistance to uh, Ukrainian refugees, it means all people are fleeing from Ukraine, uh, notwithstanding what kind of passport they have. Or do not have, and actually, yes, we. I, I know a story of um, a student from Africa who was, who is stuck in a similar situation, and uh, actually, the Polish left was addressing this issue. So this is a clear manifestation of this hypocrisy and a clear manifestation of xenophobia and racism towards people of color, towards people from the uh, still Ukraine. Um, be uh, named uh, the foremost northern uh, part of the global south, but we still we still are in a more privileged position than lots of uh, other countries of the actual global south. So uh, really, um, all, all these cases need to be addressed, and 
we need to point out uh, all, all these kinds of discrimination by the Polish and other right-wing conservative uh, governments and uh, local authorities as well. Uh, as to the as to the uh, question about um, the uh, teaser of uh, assets of Russian and I, I would say not not only Russian. But, uh, okay, uh, let's start with the Russian oligarchs. Uh, and see, I think we, we are at a situation when uh, the, the things got so far that um, like uh, full seizure of uh, their assets, their possessions uh, of the major representatives, uh, not, not just major, but representatives of the Russian oligarchic class uh, not just those uh, close to Putin, but uh, those who are still uh, in this system and benefiting from it, uh, even if they try to in themselves as something uh, independent from the system. And uh, I think it would be a good start for uh, the discussion about uh, the entire of this system, the, the London Grad is not just about the Russian oligarchs. It's not just about the post-Soviet oligarchs. It's uh, about this global uh, oligarchic capitalist class that is uh, 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 well exploiting the entire world. And uh, this is a, a good part of uh, the discussion about the uh, system of uh, the global neoliberal capitalism. Um, again, uh, there was a uh, 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 a recent piece of news about a Ukrainian sailor who tried to uh, sunk um, the super yacht of the Russian oligarch when, when he was uh, serving at. Uh, so I think it's uh, a good issue when we have uh, to combine anti-war and anti-capitalist resistance. And uh, well, okay, so Maybe I, I uh, left out uh, one of the questions, but I can't recall it now. Thank you very much, comrade. Um, so take Chris next. Thank you. Uh, I think I think the first thing I, I want to say uh, is is for Dennis not to be uh, demoralised by the horror stories of uh, the problems of the Western left. Uh, I, I don't want to give an impression to people who are organizing under Russian shell fire, uh, the, the, uh, that, an impression that can be demoralizing or, or exaggerate the, uh, beyond the proportion of importance the, the role of these rogues in the labor movement. Uh, I think it's important, important to take back, uh, Dennis, that you know, there is a, a large element of the movement who are with you uh, in this struggle. Uh, the, the demonstration on Saturday in London, uh, uh, I mean, I know this is a branch meeting tonight in the north of England. It's a local branch meeting, public meeting, and uh, it's fantastically attended. Uh, and so thank you to the organisers. In London on, on, on Saturday, there, there was thousands and thousands of protesters, uh, many, many Ukrainians or many working-class Ukrainian people who work in, in, in London. Uh, and the main speakers were all from the radical left that we took uh, John McDonnell MP, Clive Lewis MP, Mick and Tony, who, who you who met, myself, John Maloney from the PCS Union, uh, and uh, Maria Excel, and uh, you know the, there was no Tories speaking, there were you know no centrists. They, they were from us, you know, and uh, and I think our politics did relate uh, to to the 
to those Ukrainian who were Ukrainian workers, uh, not the old 1940s diaspora, modern workers uh, uh, from here. And so, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, what, what, what uh, Joe said, you know, you do relate when you have a headline like this, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, uh, and not talking bollocks about NATO. Uh, NATO could withdraw it from every country in Eastern Europe tomorrow and it would make no difference whatsoever to Ukraine. Yeah. NATO has already withdrawn its troops from Ukraine and were doing training. They were the only people there. There are no NATO troops in Ukraine. There's no training of NATO troops in Ukraine. You know, the, there is no presence of NATO in Ukraine. And if Russia was at war because of NATO expansion, then they would have troops on the, in the Belarus-Polish border. They would have troops on the, on the Latvian border with Russia. And they don't. You know, the, the, this is simply, uh, I feel exactly like Pete. Uh, I'm very angry. Uh, these are reactionary fantasies which are uh, diverting from the real issue. And the, the first first priority for us has to be the one of solidarity. And, uh, you know, and, and Pete, Pete Lover, you know, it's perfectly understandable to be emotional uh, and angry. I mean, you've got family in Ukraine. At the beginning of the week, I, I, I was heartbroken. Suddenly you're thinking, all these comrades and friends you've known for decades, we may never see them again. Uh, the, the Putin might wipe out an entire generation of political activists and our movement. Uh, and, and this isn't uh, exaggeration, it's real, uh, what we're talking about here on it. And, uh, you know, so shame on those. They should be judged historically and in the present who don't see that. Uh, but those of it do see it have to focus on how we can help and prevent this uh, happening. Uh, on the sanctions, uh, I, I think there's, lot, there's different elements. First and foremost, we, we, we need, we, we need to, uh, I agree, see, seize the assets of the entire Russian oligarchic class that's present in the UK, where we are, uh, and, and uh, seize what they've got, and I would use it as compensation to the Ukrainian people uh, for the consequences of war. Uh, that has been inflicted uh, upon them uh, and uh, uh, frees them out uh, entirely from, from, from the, the West European markets. Now, yeah, the, there will be a negative impact. And my, my hope is the negative impact will be to uh, uh, increase the potentialities of opposition inside Russia. There's no guarantee, but we need to do our best. And secondly, to increase the potentiality of divisions in the Russian ruling class, to weaken its commitment to the war and to the occupation. Uh, 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 and that is first and foremost, uh, I think, uh, that we should be addressing there. Uh, the, the, the other aspect really is, is around winning, winning within the, uh, uh, our own movement. Uh, and in terms, I think we need to do more to get the leadership to the movement and the movement to be going to the protests and engaging and speaking uh, and supporting them. Uh, you know, we, uh, I wouldn't be wasting my time trying to win over those who are lost as first priority, it would be more winning the solidarity as first priority in this situation. Uh, so the, the forthcoming demonstrations, I think we need to build for all demonstrations that are taking place. And, and uh, there's been demonstrations we know in almost every, every, every big city uh, uh, of the Ukrainian community, uh, Ukrainian workers and, uh, and other people are going along and they're multinational. The demonstration in, in London had, had a good number of Russians at it, and that was fantastic. And they were welcomed, and Georgians and, uh, and Poles, you know. Uh, so that it wasn't an expression of some sort of ethnic nationalism uh, uh, that, that I saw. You know, there was certainly nationalism, and it was, it was nationalism of an oppressed people. It was a nationalism of people who are in trauma uh, at the present time. Uh, on it. And uh, 
So I think within our movement, I think we need to continue to build. We need to cohere our forces, rally our forces, get better organised uh, at present. And uh, and so I want to say thank you to Workers' Liberty, all the work you've done. Uh, but most of all, I want to say, you know, solidarity to Dennis, to all the comrades in Sashal Nuruk, uh, solidarity to the comrades who are on the front and those that are uh, in the bunkers, you know, and uh, I really hope that Kiev can hold, you know. Thank you, Chris. Um, okay, Dale. Okay, thanks. Right, firstly, apologies if I've demoralised anybody by talking about the state of the British left, but it is a problem that just needs to be addressed, particularly if you're in, in, in Britain. Um, and I'll start off closing comments by just repeating what I said before, that there is a fundamental division now on the left in this country, and not just in Britain, uh, but in other countries as well, between those who stand in solidarity with Ukraine, who support the rights of Ukraine to self-defence, and those who pay lip service to the idea of Russian withdrawal from Ukraine, but are not doing the campaigning that needs to be done to achieve that, and instead spend the time talking about NATO, Russian security concerns, and thereby give credence to the stuff that Putin has come out with. And like Ben said, we now have this bizarre sight of sections of the revolutionary left in Britain appointing themselves or taking on the role of like elder statesmen or elder statewomen, uh, international diplomats who want to create this new European world order of mutual security and so on, it's already quite bizarre and shows how far you move the off reality. So on the one hand, you have those kind of people, stop the war coalition and so on, who we are in political conflict with and diametrically opposed to, but within the broader kind of movement of solidarity with Ukraine, there are clearly discussions to be had as well within a shared framework of support for Ukraine. Like in Glasgow, where the Ukrainian community is not that big, it's, it's bigger than Edinburgh, from 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock every day so far, Ukrainians meet up in George Square and they started collecting goods for Ukraine, started collecting money. You speak with them, a lot of them say, we want Ukraine to be allowed into NATO right now. We want NATO troops in Ukraine. We want a NATO no-fly zone over Ukraine. We want more weapons. We want more hard-hitting sanctions and so on. Don't agree with a lot of those demands. I don't think they would be helpful. Um, but that's a discussion to be had going forward. And I can understand 100% why Ukrainians, and I'm sure not just in Glasgow, are saying that. And we certainly shouldn't have any kind of political purity test before we support Ukrainians campaigning against Russian invasion. It's not like they have to pass some kind of test before um, we can say you've got the right to national self-determination. So there's that kind of discussion to be had, one based on recognising why a lot of Ukrainians are saying what they're saying, and we need to be quite sensitive to how we address that. Then there's issues like sanctions, which someone raised in the meeting, I think there's a broader discussion to be had about what is the attitude of socialists to sanctions in general and what is the attitude to specific sanctions now. I mean, for example, yes, I'm in favour of confiscating the wealth of Russian oligarchs, but I'm also in favour of confiscating the wealth of British oligarchs and lots of other oligarchs and so on. There's also the issue about 
excluding Russia from SWIFT. I don't claim to understand how SWIFT works and so on. But you look at the reports today, Russian ruble collapses by 30%, um, and articles saying that ordinary Russians are at risk of seeing their savings simply vanish because of the devaluation of the ruble and the impact of sanctions. You think about Russians in this country who are dependent on money from Russia to pay for accommodation, to pay for university fees. Suddenly, the value of the money they're getting from Russia to pay for rent and that kind of thing has gone down by 30%. So I think there's a question of sanction. Well, there's a question that's not going to be answered in this meeting of what is an attitude to sanctions in general? Are there sanctions which can impact on Putin, on oligarchs who are increasingly coming out against Putin anyway, but actually don't impact negatively on ordinary Russians, the kind of people we want to support in terms of building an anti-war ship, an anti-war movement in Russia? So I think. There's a fundamental division between us and people that don't stand in support of Ukraine's rights and self-determination, but within the camp, although I hesitate to use the words. Hi, I don't um, know if we've lost support. Dave. Yeah, I'm minding at the end. There's need for ongoing discussion. I don't know if other people can hear him. I, I can't. So I was just going to say that within um, there's a fundamental division between us and people that don't support Ukraine's rights and self-determination, but there's also need for discussion amongst ourselves who do support Ukraine's right to self-determination about what's the most effective, effective demands to raise and to build a, a broader campaign. Dennis asked for one more minute. Just could you remember another question? So if I can um, bring Dennis back for one minute. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to reassure you that uh, I wasn't demoralised. And actually, we were uh, pretty much... Um, uh, well, our... We felt like real solidarity because as soon as the eve on, uh, of invasion, uh, we had uh, the labor and trade union uh, delegation in uh, in Kiev speaking to uh, human rights activists, to trade union activists, to feminist activists, uh, and so on and so on. And these were people clearly from the socialist left, uh, Mik Antonyev, um, Adam Price, uh, Julie Ward, uh, Paul Mason, uh, Chris Kitchen, uh, Mick Whelan. So uh, they were probably the one of the last people from the West who, uh, at the time when everyone was evacuated from here, they went to hear us and reassure their solidarity. So again, and I, I would again sh- uh, shout out for um, Alliance for Workers' Liberty, because I recall that uh, one of the most sane and complex uh, nuanced view on uh, the situation in Ukraine starting with the times of uh, uh, the Maidan protests, uh, was presented at your website. So uh, I really appreciate your um, eagerness to uh, dive deep into the, the, all these complexities and not to uh, go on with these simplified uh, cliches. So thanks again to all comrades here. And uh, I recall the question, it was uh, about the uh, organizations uh, that you can support and follow. I uh, sent the, some of, uh, of the names to the chat, um, but uh, starting from our organization, social movement, uh, uh, many comrades uh, are still 
not, not just steel. They, they are uh, at any case and any situation, any circumstance, they will uh, continue to organize and uh, if needed to do uh, the resistance. Uh, many now are involved in uh, different solidarity networks in Kyiv. Um, and again, you, you also need to support the Ukrainian uh, unions, uh, the Confederation of Free Trade Unions, and also uh, many militant parts of the Federation of Trade Unions, both uh, mentioned by Chris. Um, and um, also our, uh, like the, the Commons magazine, uh, journal for uh, social criticism that was a mouthpiece for the intellectual left in Ukraine and still is. Uh, so follow uh, updates and um, again thanks for uh, being with us thanks for uh, showing your solidarity thank you very much um, Chris is asked to ask one last question of Dennis we're really running out of time you can do it, Chris but it's going to have to be really brief Dennis could you just tell us before we go perhaps to tell comrades what is the situation of the left at present in Kiev and their involvement with the resistance and the organisations now yeah, some some people uh, some people have joined the, either the humanitarian um, solidarity networks or uh, some went to um, Kiev Oblast uh, region uh, self defense uh, and uh, well m- many of our comrades are still relentlessly working even in shelters even in uh, their uh, basements. Uh, producing some analyze, uh, analyses and um, appeals, for instance, about this, uh, the cancellation of Ukrainian debt. Uh, and uh, those who are on the ground, um, they uh, assist in uh, everything ranging from um, doing this uh, civic defense uh, units to uh, uh, providing uh, the necessary goods for the people in need, the people most in need in, in the city. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, it, it, it's um, not about just this social movement, but also about other uh, individual uh, leftists and anarchist activists um, in Kyiv and in other cities as well. Thank you very much um, for that. Right, I'm going to bring this to an end because we've overrun slightly, but I think it was worth overrunning. Um, can I, just a couple of announcements very quickly. So can I say thank you to the three speakers, especially Dennis for speaking to us. I apologise if I can't pronounce your name, if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly, but thank you very much for speaking to us. Solidarity, comrade, and best wishes, and you know, stay safe. Um, as best as possible. Um, a couple of other things I have posted in the chat, the sign-up sheet. Um, if you want to get in contact, um, get into contact with Works Liberty, find out what we're up to, um, click on that link and, and give us your details. There's also a link in the chat to donate um, to Works Liberty to help us fund meetings like this, you know, and fund our publications to get out a, an alternative perspective um, to much of the left on issues like this and to allow us to work with other groups to kind of promote kind of internationalist, internationalist um, socialist politics. And also, if you would like to join Workers' Liberty, please get in contact. If you go to the sign-up sheet and get in contact with us um, through that, um, the, 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 the basic way of saying it is, you know, we need people to join it and get involved if you agree with our politics um, so we can kind of grow, but also kind of, put on more events like this, hear from more speakers like Dennis and Chris and Dale and kind of start a healthy debate within 
the left and the socialist movement um, to try and tackle some of the issues that we've heard about from Dale tonight with, with the with elements of the left and kind of terrible kind of internationalist politics, especially when it comes to Russia. So yeah, thank you everyone for attending. Sorry we overran. Um, and stay safe, everyone, especially comrades in Ukraine. Thank you.